You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Grant, Danny, and Darris on the production. We appreciate you guys making the show part of your routine. We told you when there is some worthy news this offseason, we're going to break it down for you. And that was certainly the case last night. The MLB draft lottery was held for the first time. The Nationals had a 16% chance of getting the first pick, a 19% chance of picking as low as number seven. And I thought things worked out okay for them. We can go through the lottery and some of the rules and the quirks and some of the things I don't like about the draft lottery. But it was really good tension and drama. It was pretty good television. It was a made-for-TV event with Mike Rizzo and a bunch of executives sitting in a small room waiting to find out where they were going to pick. First time baseball's ever done this. And Danny, the Nationals will have the second pick in the MLB draft. So I'm with you, actually, on the the intrigue of it. It added some spice, right? I mean, Major League Baseball hasn't had something like this before. Obviously, this is the first one, the inaugural version of it. And it was actually, as you said, there was tension, and I found myself kind of entertained and ready for kind of a stomach punch. And it worked out as good as it possibly could have, or almost as good at, obviously. If they'd gotten the one pick, it would have been better. But you you think of teams like the Oakland A's, for example, that had the second-best odds or third-best odds, whatever they were, as the second-worst record, and they got bumped out. Um, And I, I think, ultimately, they can't pick in the top uh, six next year, which so worst case scenario, right? So there's some tweaks that I would like to see, but the general principle of it, I don't think is the craziest thing in the world. But the the extremes that they're going to avoid a team taking their time and rebuilding soundly is kind of comical at this point. I think it's an overcorrection, an overreaction, really from the players' side of things. They were just so fed up with you know, veterans not getting, you know, bad contracts from, from some of these teams that they're doing everything they possibly can to make it really, really hard for teams to do anything other than sign an aging veteran over giving a young player a chance for a team that's rebuilding. But yeah, so the Nets end up second. It, as you said, it could have been a lot worse, a huge percentage chance that they would fall way worse than their record. Uh, you know, the number one worst record in the in Major League Baseball last year. Going second, I think it could have gone a lot worse. Definitely. 15.6% chance of getting the second pick came home with that lottery ball bouncing their way. They had about a 32% chance of being in the top two that came to fruition. You know, you hate to be the A's, who are the second worst team in baseball, and fell out of the top three. 
know, they had a 16% chance to get the number one pick, and, you know, they fell down the board, obviously. Uh, but the Nationals picked two, and, and this is kind of how I felt going in. Best case scenario, they were going to get the number one pick. They would pick, of all the players in the country, they get to dictate terms on this draft. Whoever they want, they get. That's ideal. Everyone can understand that's the number one best case. The second best is that they pick second for obvious reasons, right? And one, it sounds dumb to say that because it's the number two pick. But really, it's also, to me, based on this draft class. I mean, there are going to be more than two really high-end players. I think there's already you know, the potential, you could say, for a, a three-horse race for the top pick in the draft maybe because you've got a prep bat who's emerged to go along with two college stars. But for me, with the Nats build and where they're at and how many high school bats they've now suddenly got coming uh, and they're developing at the low levels versus some of the major league ready pitching talent where there's still a hole, I think, in the system. You know, I would really like to see them go the college route to get someone to the majors quicker to help them to actually put some butts in some seats and get better at the big league level where they're no longer spending at all. And for that reason, I think there's two elite level college talents in this class at this point. Dylan Cruz of LSU, the outfielder, and Chase Dollander, the right-handed pitcher from Tennessee, who looks like he separated himself for now as the best college pitcher in the country. And it's silly to start talking about the draft and prospects. Sure, so much happens. Yeah, So much baseball. Who knows? His arm could could fall off or you know, Cruz could, could tear something. And I mean, there's so many things that could happen. They could end up picking someone who's 10th on everybody's board right now because they have this meteoric, unbelievable season. But my point going into the lottery was, in this draft, and this was based on talking to some people in baseball and, and even a person with the Nationals, You know, it would make a lot of sense for them to be one or two to get a guy that they really, really might like, or to fall out of the top six altogether. Because you mentioned some of the quirks that aren't cool about this process. If you don't pick... In the top six, you are eligible to do that in the upcoming season. However, if you have a top six pick this year, you can't have a top six pick next year. And I can't stress to you how much I hate this for a rebuilding team like the Nats, who once went back-to-back with number one overall after 100 losses two straight years, and they went and they got uh, Bryce Harper after Steven Strasburg. But now that's not possible. That can't happen. So if you're going to pick in the top six, you you got, you got to get your money's worth, one or two. You know, in this draft, worst case scenario, probably three. The fourth or the fifth or the sixth pick would have been a disaster, in my opinion, because then the earliest you're picking next year is seven. Whereas, okay, you you get the second pick, earliest you pick next year is seven. But hey, at least, Danny, you're going to pick in the top two this year. So it worked out fine. But it doesn't change the fact that I kind of hate this system already. Yeah, the principle of it, I uh, again, I, I get it. I know how we got here. But I, uh, the word I've used with with friends who kind, and I will fully admit this, GP, I sort of wasn't as plugged into this draft lottery process as I should have been. I just kind of uh, sort of blindly assumed, yeah, the Nationals are, you know, they finish with the worst record. But there's a lottery; they'll get a top three pick. That wasn't guaranteed at all. In fact, as you correctly said, there was a better chance of them getting pick seven than there was of pick one, and that kind of defeats the purpose to me um, in general principle. But I I see this entire process as a massive overcorrection, overreaction, et cetera. I want to tweak things, do away with some of the rules. I'm I'm perfectly fine living in a world with a draft lottery. I get it. I get the principle. You don't want to just blindly reward a team for you know purposefully one way or another fielding an inferior product. You know you don't want to give them too great of a, of a reward. Fine, general principle. I, I understand that. But these 
quirks like the ones we're talking about here, where you can't pick top six for two straight years, again, what what more effective way was there for the Nationals to go Strasburg, Harper, Rendon, yep. World Series several years later, and, and great playoff runs and you know, really excellent competitive teams? There's nothing wrong with that strategy. In fact, it's very, very good. <laughs> you know, like, so that's one of those things that I, I I wish would be tweaked a little bit. But again, I see this as I think veteran players who govern and run the Players Association, you know, and and just given the way the the landscape has changed over the you know decade last decade plus, where everybody's doing kind of their own version of what Billy Billy Bean sort of invent, I don't say invented, but you know, implemented there in Oakland was to make a low payroll competitive, people figured out very quickly, if you spend one-tenth of the salary and get 65-70% of the production, you're better off. You are, you, you over the long haul, over the six years of controllability that you have with a young baseball player, you are 100% a better, more competitive team than you would be for paying the premium of a free agent who's earned a service time, who's earned the right to make a huge contract, to have a huge deal, than you know, a team like the Minnesota Twins or the Tampa Bay Rays or, or a number of these other groups that have been competitive at times simply cannot afford to miss on a contract. I used to say this all the time. I remember uh, when the Yankees had you know two, three times the payroll of some of these other teams before some of these corrections were made. The Yankees, if if Kevin Brown doesn't turn out, they'll just get the next guy. If the Twins go, okay, we're all in. This is our player, and he's bad. Whoever that he is, that's it. They can't compete. They're done for however you know the length of that contract till they can get out of it. So I understand some of the the paths of how we got here, but this just feels to me like a little bit overwrought, a little bit too much of a correction. Yeah, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, and that people don't like when I say this, and and that's fine. Um, we can disagree on this. The majority of baseball fans feel like uh, they call it tanking. You know, tanking is this awful, terrible, gross, disgusting thing, and I just call it building. And I think teams should be able to build however they want to. And if teams want to wear it for four or five years, not getting a gate, not getting a turnout, losing fans from their fan base to other fan bases, then they should be allowed to do that if if it's a means to an end. Now, now obviously, if they're doing a bad job building, then that can take a long, long time. But see the Orioles. You, the Orioles shouldn't be allowed to do what they just did. Uh, that's horse crap. Of course they should be allowed. Mike Elias did it in Houston. Very successfully, by the way. They get to the World Series more often than not now, and they're in the LCS every single year because of how they built their organization correctly from the ground up. Now he's doing the same thing in Baltimore, and I promise you they're going to make a bunch of playoff appearances in a row, and I promise you they're going to get to a World Series in the next several years with all the bites at the apple that they've got coming. They'll probably get to a couple, and they'll probably win one. They're doing it in a way that is smart. But whether you agree that it's smart or not, or that it's nice to the fans or it isn't, I guess I would say two things. One, they should be allowed to do it however they want to do it. They should be. That's number one. And number two, ask their fans now how they feel. Ask their fans this past season how much fun they had. Ask them in five years after they've made the playoffs five years in a row and they've made the LCS three times and they've been to the World Series twice how they feel. Ask Nats fans who were here for the run from 12 to 19 for nine seasons of top of the National League Baseball, what that was like. Because guess what? It was made possible by the crappy years before that where the team strategically picked at the top of the board and got the best players. And people love saying, well, you're not going to see these guys for five years. Number one, that's not true. 
That's antiquated thinking, and it's it's just straw man nonsense. Sometimes players get to the big leagues in a calendar year now. More often than not, they're there really quickly. If they draft, because I think what's going to happen is at number one overall, the Pirates are going to take Dylan Cruz, okay, the LSU outfielder. At number two, they'll take Chase Dollander from, from Tennessee. If they draft that guy, there is a chance he's starting in the big leagues uh, the following calendar year. In Maybe other words, September call-up for a bullpen stand or something. Or, or, innings I mean, wise, honestly, yeah. he could pitch in the big league sooner. Now, I'm not saying they'll do that. I'm not, it's up to the team. But he could get big league outs. I mean, he checks so many boxes. He projects well. He, he's produced. He's you know The performance has been great. He's an analytics darling. Hopefully, that, that doesn't <laughs> make them not take him. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, really, this is kind of what you dream about at the top of the draft is a pitcher. And we'll see. If the stars align and he's still that guy and he's still healthy when the draft comes around, which is a big deal. But my point is, Danny, you know, it's annoying to me. And and obviously, as a Nats fan, I'm a little biased in this. But they're going into this period where this is how you get good now. If you're not going to spend, I can't make the learners spend any money. Okay? I can't force them to bring in veterans who are good at high dollars. What I can do is pick high in the draft and ideally hit on some of these picks, which, by the way, and you'll hear from Barry Sverluga, we did an interview with him on our DC show, Grant and Danny, and we're going to post that at the end of this podcast because it was really good and it's relevant. He mentioned this. I mean, they got to hit on picks, dude. Yeah. Like, at some point, they got to hit on picks. Now, here's the good news. They're starting to pick high again. Where They used to hit on picks at six with Rendon, at one, obviously, with Harp, at one with Strauss. It's easier to do that. You know, when they were picking in the bottom of the first round, mid-first round, they struggled a lot more on those picks. Fetty in the 20s. Giolito at 16. They did flip for Eaton, obviously, to help win a World Series. But at number two, you can't miss. Like, you got to get that pick right. Yeah. Elijah Green in the top five, you got to get that pick right. It's got to pan out. I mean, the, we, this has been one of the themes, I think, of us doing Bust and Lose Baseball. And, and that's been they haven't had – the reinforcements. They haven't had the help. I mean, for a while it was, yeah, you can lose this guy because the next guy's coming. Yeah, you can, you know, it's okay if you don't overpay for Ian Desmond because they were able to acquire Trey Turner, etc. Well, the last one of those that worked was it's okay if you don't have Harper because you have Soto. Now, who's it okay? Right? There's there's no, you know, the, the key boom hasn't manifested in anything other than, a, you know, a, a project. Victor Robles not only didn't take the next step, but took a giant leaps backwards, it seems like, in terms of, especially when it comes to offense. They just haven't had anything from their system really pan out into an everyday legit contributor. And so the best path was trading away superstar Juan Soto and acquiring other people's work. That's basically what's – that's the best part of their system now, whether it's Hassel, Gore, uh, Abrams, and, and everybody down the line. So that's 100% right. And the point that Barry makes in, in our interview, which you guys will hear, that I thought was very salient is Mike Rizzo has earned an awful lot of leeway, in my opinion, right, as a really, really good executive, a guy that I think at times has had his hands tied and other times – you know, has has done a lot with maybe not as much. I think he's been very sharp, salient, and 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 overall a very very good GM slash president. Now, this is where they've fallen short. And when he goes, we've done it before. Trust us. You're right. You did do this before. But I'm looking at also the track record from what that you're going to use to tell me to trust you. The last ten years has not been kind when it comes to drafting and developing. It just hasn't. So and that's the path. That's it gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, right. That's the part that makes you scary. And again, this isn't 
me saying anything other than that about, about Rizzo, again, who has earned a lot of leeway, benefited out, trust, etc. Then you add in this ownership question, which is what you and I are going to talk about here in a moment, how complicated this is. Rizzo said that they've got some clarity on payroll. I think clarity means there's no payroll. Yeah, I think they're very clear on don't that. Don't spend. Yeah, don't spend. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. By the way, uh, I was watching today as all these contracts are being dulled out. Aaron Judge gets nine and 360 to stay with the Yankees, and we could run through some of the big items if you want. Obviously, the Nats aren't a player in any of these sweepstakes for any of these star players. And we knew that coming into the offseason, so I'm not going to be frustrated by that. You're not going to go splash in free agency and spend a bunch of money when you don't know who your owner is going to be. But they're 24th in payroll right now, according to spot tracks and the projections. And that's with adding in, you know, when guys get arbitration and all of the money that's going to be doled out to players on the 40 man right now. 24th. I mean, you can't be lower than that, really, and be a market the size of Washington, D.C. In other words, like your teams that don't spend like Pittsburgh, your tiny market teams, they're going to be at the bottom. But for the Nationals to be 24th, I would say that's kind of the floor. It's hard to be lower than that. Although I I would say thank God for the Strasburg contract and the Corbin contract, (laughs) both of which are horrendous. But at least that keeps you from being – I mean, you take those two contracts out, are they dead last in payroll? I think they'd be close. And they don't have a choice. They can't trade Corbin, and they can't get rid of Strasburg. But if they could, would they? And would they spend money? Or or would literally they be like, who's dead last in payroll right now? The Pirates, probably? Uh, athletics. The A's, yeah. They yeah. would be with Oakland and, and, and probably Pittsburgh. You know, or whoever else is down there. Yeah, I mean, if you take away that, you know, whatever it is, the I can't do the math in my head, 35 plus 25. Uh, what is that, that would 60? be 60 mil. Yeah, you take away that 60, oh, buddy, you're down there with the, with the, with the penny pinchers. And I under, again, I, I, given this bizarre ownership situation, I can kind of understand you've got to keep money off the books. The timing just couldn't be worse when it comes to trying to build some interest again. I mean, listen, they won the World Series in 2019. We're all aware of that. Since then, it's been a disaster. Part of it, their own making. The other part, just sort of bad fortune, bad luck, whatever. 2020 happened. An aging roster underachieved for a 60-game sprint. You know, you sort of chalk that up to a whatever. They didn't think they'd be this bad in 2021. They, they really didn't. They thought, well, we've got guys at the tail end of their primes, but still we have enough. We should be able to compete. And the fact that they were so bad before the trade deadline signaled a, a shift that had to happen. Maybe it happened a year too late if they'd had a full sample of 2020. I don't know. I just know this. Part of it is not their fault. A good plan went bad. The other part is where they've gone all into this bad baseball. If you're a fan, that's all you've seen. That's all you've watched for three years well, since they, the World they Series. They took their ball and went home. And and then the payroll went down to nothingness. Then you've got this potential ownership change where if you're a new, a new owner coming in, you don't want to maybe be saddled with any contracts beyond what you already have to. I understand what's happening. I just know that it stinks. I don't know what's happening. I can say what it looks like. What it looks like is they've checked out. What it, To me, it looks like uh, if you run a restaurant and the restaurant is vacant and, and really you're, you're just kind of open in, in name only. 
You know what I mean? Yes. But like you don't, you're not ordering more food. Like it's you're you're a grocery store, and there's the the racks are mostly empty, and you're saying, yeah, you know, whatever's here is what we have. But because you think you're selling, you're not going and getting anything else. Essentially, it's like uh, FedEx Field here in D.C. that everyone always complains about, and everyone goes, how can this stadium be so bad? Well, they don't want to invest and actually fix and change and alter and amend and, and do the things necessary that cost a lot of money because they're moving. So if you're selling your house, you know you fix it up enough to sell it, but you're not going to go replace your whole kitchen. You're not going to get your dream islands. You're, you know, you're not going to put the countertops you always wanted in right before you sell, are you? They're not going to go spend on Aaron Judge, but but it's it's now we're going on basically two years of this. It feels like, and I don't know if the whole family is in agreement or how this works. It seems to me like Mark Lerner still cares a lot. I told you an anecdote on the show the other day where I saw him at the ballpark and I was telling him I'd just seen James Wood in Fredericksburg, and he asked you know to see a video I had of him and was watching it and seemed like really engaged and interested. He was still at a lot of games down the stretch, so maybe he's in, but others aren't. I mean, I'm speculating. I have no idea, but. Here's what I know. They don't act like they care a whole lot about the product at this point, and they haven't in a little while, which is really, really hard for a fan to stomach, and it's really, really frustrating. And it is hard to kind of grade the staff and Rizzo and, and Davey and everyone else because you're trying to make chicken salad at, at this point in a situation that's not particularly good. Uh, meanwhile, the Mets, who went and, and got Justin Verlander this week, Forty-three million a year, two and eighty-six, I believe, was the contract. Their collective, let's see what this is called here. Their CBT. So I guess this is their, um, the Mets tax, basically. Their payroll is two hundred ninety-eight million. Two ninety-eight. Again, the Nats are projected to be a, around a hundred mil with those terrible Strauss and, and with Corbin sixty million contracts. in ew, sixty <laughs> percent of it, literally. Uh-huh. So basically, a forty million dollar payroll for the team. Uh, when you get rid of the, those two guys who may not pitch, or, or in Corbin's case, you know, is going to be ineffective. Um, so the Mets are at 298 mil after what they've done, and they went and got Jose Quintana after that. So they're over the Steve Cohen tax threshold. This is from Jeff Passan. Every dollar they spend now gets taxed at 90%. Think about that. Every dollar gets taxed at 90% if they were to stop spending today. Their total tax bill would be about $34 million, and they're not going to stop, Jeff Passan said. What a gift to that fan base, Steve Cohen is, which is kind of the dream. You want your own Steve Cohen. You want a guy that isn't going to run this thing like a coffee shop, who's not counting cups, you know, who's not telling you to pour a little bit of all the coffee back into the, 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 uh, the coffee maker so that by the end of the day you've saved eight cups of coffee. Like It's none of that. It's just trying to win a World Series, throwing money at problems, and, and that's not always the way to do it. But man, if it doesn't give you a chance. Yeah, I think that's very well said.